I was born here. Yet this place is foreign to me. I'm not from here. I've lived a privileged life. I've never gone a day without a meal or a warm bed. Yet it could have been so different. After living in a few orphanages, I was adopted by a family in Canada, which is where I've lived ever since. I don't know why I came back here. I have no relatives that I know of, no friends, nothing. I guess I just needed to see what my life could have been. Everywhere I look, I see children with no parents, with nothing at all. They've been abandoned, abused, sold into slavery, victims to horrors I can barely imagine. Why does this happen? I've seen things like this on the news, but when I hear about people dying halfway around the world, it doesn't affect me. It's so far removed from what I experience. But now seeing these children face to face, it's real. that so much of the world lives in the ruins of war and hate. You don't have to look far to see how broken our world is. People do terrible things to each other. Have we just become so good at pretending things like this don't happen? The world is full of poverty, corruption, and violence. I know it's wrong. It has to be. There's so much evil in this world. I believe in a God who has the power to stop it. So why doesn't he? Good morning. Welcome this morning. Welcome to all of you. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. Thank you daycare families and workers for being here. And what a great ministry uh, you lead, you lead for our church. And um, what a powerful video, huh? Powerful video. I often think of my own son here when I think of that video and what it feels like for him to go back. You know, he went back to Haiti this summer for a quick visit to, to see his 
friends and to see where he's from. I don't ever want him to, to forget that. And, and so we're going to talk about that question. Why is there evil? Why is there evil? If you're new here, if you just started coming here uh, recently, this year or later in the year, this is our Foundations Sunday. You heard, heard him say that already. Foundations Sunday is our attempt to build back into our children and to ourselves, students even, build into them the core truth, some foundational truths, because we are convinced here, and I, I don't think you disagree with me, we are convinced that our culture is attacking our biblical values. I think we're under attack. Do you, do you agree? I think traditional and uh, biblical values are under attack. And so every last Sunday of the month this year, every last Sunday of the month, we're covering a topic, 12 topics, 12 topics that the culture wants to push back on. Topics like, is there really a God? Did he really create the world? Why did he make man? What is our purpose? What, what about gender and sexuality issues? All those kind of things. And uh, science, last Last month, we talked about how science and faith complement each other. They don't battle against each other. And today is this big problem. And I have to tell you at the beginning here that this issue, this, this big question is a question and an issue that drives a lot of people away from the faith. People that grew up in church, people that once had faith, something tragic will happen. Or they'll get some glimpse of the, of the world they didn't get before. Maybe they'll visit an underdeveloped country. And they'll, they'll begin to question everything they believe and everything they've taught. We are a very sheltered people for the most part. I'm not saying there's no suffering or pain or evil here in America. But we, we have it made compared to most of the world. And so sometimes when people get that different view they, they can't process it, and they throw the towel in on their faith. What kind of a God would allow this? So there's a foundational truth here that we want you to know, and that's what Psalm 11 says. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, and we think they're being attacked, not yet destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so we're doing something. Gateway Church, we're not content with just teaching your kids the great Bible stories. That's good, and we want to keep doing that. Many of us grew up learning that, but we live in a different time today, don't we? It's a different time today. Our kids need to know not just what's in the Bible. They need to know not just the great stories of the Bible. They need to know why we believe the Bible is true. They need to know why we believe there is a God who loves us, who gave his son to die on a cross for us. They need to know why. So that when they get older and go to college or go out there into their job or their life out of the uh, protection of a, you know, of a safe space, so to speak, and they get attacked for those fairy tale views or those old fashioned or those traditional views, they can stand up and say, but wait a minute, I'm going to tell you why I believe that. And it's not my parents' faith. They might share it. It's not my grandparents' faith. It's my faith. It's my faith. I know 
why I believe what I believe. And what better place to start than with these little bitty kids, right? So you plant those little seeds in them, the prepped and prime points. And as they get older, through our ministry, they're going to learn more and more about this stuff that's being attacked by our culture. So if there really is a God, and if Christianity is true, why is there so much evil, pain, and suffering? Now, many of you know me. You know that I've been privileged, if you will, to visit a lot of different countries on the, uh, on the U.S. government's dime. Of course, I had to pay it back because I had to wear an Army uniform and get shot at, uh, at least be in a FOB, forward operating base, that got shot at. And uh, I've, seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of backward living. I've seen a lot of suffering. I've seen people living in structures that you and I only see in books or we think, or, the, or National Geographic shows, structures that were built a thousand years ago, and they're building them the same way in some places. I've seen uh, lots of places that uh, needed some, some modernization, some progressive technology that just didn't have it. But I don't think any of those compared to my experience in Haiti. We've, many of us have been over there and, and we just, right, right in the shadow of the United States, just right, just a hop, skip, and a jump from the shores of Florida, uh, our little neighbor in the Caribbean with so much poverty and suffering and pain Many of you know the little girl, I've talked about her before, we, we sponsor a little girl, and if you sponsor one of our Haiti children, thank you, they, uh, they don't get free education like you and I do. They don't get free food like we do. We provide, and we've been doing this now for uh, over 10 years, and we, we can only do it because some of you who have the means give us $20, $25, $50 a month to make sure a child or two in Haiti can uh, get, a, get a meal and go to school and learn something and get uniforms and all that stuff. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to look into that. But we are sponsoring this little girl named Shedlin who, uh, we, she was just one of the brightest and best and she lived in the shadow of the steeple of the church there. And of course she ended up dying, as you know. She died of a disease that could have been taken care of here, stomach born disease that could have been taken care of here she'd still be living but she died there and you know that makes me angry and it makes me sad because that happened to a little girl we loved i could show you video after video of her speaking english which was rare for the little kids because they because they they don't get taught that a whole lot in school and so when that kind of thing happens, and maybe you've seen it happen, maybe it's happened here. You've seen someone needlessly suffering or someone dying of something that could have been prevented, that could have been treated. And it kind of makes you sad, but it really makes you mad. How did this happen? How in 2023, when there's so much ease of travel and technology, you can talk to people anywhere in the world, and there's so much money in some countries. I mean, you, you and I are loaded with money. Now, I know you may not feel like you're loaded with money, but if you got a few dollars on you sometime this week, you're loaded compared to some people in some countries. How could this happen? 
And when little Shedlin died, you know, it was a punch to our gut. It was a gut punch. And I think as I turn to my, the, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Matthew chapter 9, this must have been how Jesus felt. Matthew 9, we break into Matthew's gospel here. He's just recounting the ministry of Jesus and how he's going around doing all the things he does. And there's this one scene that just really gets to me. And I, and I hope it'll get to you after this sermon, Matthew 9, 35 to 39. The Bible says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Now, this is Matthew making a blanket statement. He's going everywhere, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom Listen to this, and healing every disease and every affliction. And he basically eradicated disease in some of these places. Now I want you to listen to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's, that's that moment that Matthew recorded. According to the United Nations website on the earth today, there are 8 billion people. 8 billion. 8 billion people. That's a big harvest field, isn't it? And a bunch of them live near you. A bunch of them live near you. Big harvest field. And Jesus said, it's, it's plentiful. There's, there's no lack of work to do. There's no lack of, of audiences to have to share the gospel. You will never lack an audience. There will always be somebody who's hurting, always be somebody who needs to hear the gospel, always be somebody who needs some hope and some help question is will you be the one to share it with them will be you be the one to share it with them and uh and i'm just afraid that the answer we get is that is that we don't like it because we're we're so comfortable here that we don't often step out of our comfort zone to help and in haiti as well as in other places in the world the population continues to grow by leaps and bounds and i am afraid that evil is spreading faster than the gospel last week i I talked about hell, and, I, and I, I, I told you that God had instituted certain things throughout history to keep evil in check. Remember this? First, there was the family. God gave Adam and Eve a family, and that family was there to keep evil in check. I mean, to do the right thing. That's what a man and a woman, when they come together and they raise their kids, they're supposed to do the right thing. Of course, we know how sin slithered in and upset the right thing and created havoc for all of us but then God created the his people the children of Israel were were there they were to be a shining example of what God wants a shining example of how to live with morality that's why God gave them the 10 commandments and he says you're different you're separate from the rest of the world you look different you act different you do things differently you eat differently you uh, everything is different for you and so the children of Israel were created really uh, part of their mission was to live out what God wanted and to keep evil in check and then in the new testament we have the church the church 
The church exists. We exist to be a light in the community, the conscience of the community, if you will. We, we, we exist to go out and to infiltrate public offices and uh, all sorts of professions and careers and jobs and schools and all sorts of things and carry the gospel with us and take our lifestyle with us and keep evil in check. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not promoting evil, but promoting God who stands against evil. And I told you last week that God created government for this. God created government to keep evil in check. That's what Romans 13 teaches us. Government is there, the institution of government. I'm not talking about any one political party or person, but the institution of government is there to do the right thing. Early on in our history, they recognized that the right thing was connected to the Old Testament, the moral code, the Ten Commandments, and some other things. So, I said this last week, if the government goes rogue and the church goes to sleep, then evil goes unchecked. And that's the situation we're living in today, folks. And sometimes it's very subtle how they slip things into the, your TV commercials or they slip things into the conversations at school or they slip things in through the back door. And sometimes they're very blatant. They put it in your face and say, this is no longer right. This what used to be wrong is now right, and if you don't like it, then you're wrong. So that's the, that's the world we live in, and I want to tell you today there is a lot of need. And I think if Jesus was looking at the crowds today, oh, he'd sigh a heavy sigh, wouldn't he? Like, oh, the harvest is full. So evil is advancing. It's, it's keep, it keeps going. And if the gospel is reaching people, what's, what's the answer to them about their pain and suffering? You know, what could, what could we say to the people of Ukraine, for instance, or even Russia, who've been thrust by power-hungry leaders into a war, a needless war, the suffering it brings. There are thousands of people suffering. We, we're kind of shielded from that. Sometimes we see it on TV. What, what can we say to the residents of Maui who... Many of them lost their lives or all their possessions and had to jump into the ocean just to save themselves. What can we say to those people? God's fault, man's fault. What can we say to the poor people of Haiti and other impoverished nations wherein children in 2023 are dying of simple diseases and dying of starvation? And here we sit thinking about that big chicken leg we're going to eat right after church. I know you're thinking about it. Because I'm thinking about it. Or steak. Or any number of things that some people in some parts of the world wouldn't even dream of having access to. Speaking of children, what can we say to the parents of those children who's, who've been abducted? He talked about children being abducted and sold into the sex slavery. If God is so good and powerful, why is there so much evil, pain, and suffering? And here's how they restate it. If God is so good, then he must not be all-powerful because suffering exists. Or if he is all-powerful, then he must not be good. Get what they're saying? If God is good, he can't do anything about it because it exists, then why 
you know, why have a God that's just good? If he's all powerful, it's still happening, so he must not be good. It must be a capricious God. You know, a lot of people throw the talent on their faith. Even really smart people who used to be avid Christians, a guy named Bart Ehrman teaches New Testament at Duke, I think Duke University Divinity School. And uh, he was a Christian, avid Christian. His wife is an avid Christian and still is. But Bart Ehrman, because of this problem, because of the, the problem of suffering and pain and evil all over the world, threw the towel in on his faith, and now he says he's an agnostic. Still teaches New Testament at the Divinity School, which isn't surprising. But he, this, this was that issue. And, and you may be sitting there, and in your moments you might think, well, you know what, what, what does stop me from being a Christian? And this may come up, and you say, if there really was a God, why would he let people suffer like that? And uh, I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to tell you why. C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the last century. You know, I quote him a lot. I even quoted this same book, The Problem of Pain, last week. And he said this. He said, my argument before, you know, he was an atheist. His wife died, really forced him into uh, thinking about things. And he became a, one of the, our greatest apologists and Christian thinkers. He said, my argument before was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. Speaking of straight lines, has anybody been to the post office lately? Go over there, you'll know what I'm talking about. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You understand what he's saying here? The only way you know what's right is because you know what's wrong. And the only way you know what's wrong is because you know what's right. There's got to be a standard. And so if there's, you take God out of the picture, there's no morality. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You can do whatever you want to do. If people say, well, that wasn't fair. Well, who says what's fair? It may be fair for me to do that to you. I get to decide what's fair. You see, our sense of morality has to come from somewhere. Who, who gets to dis, dis, um, determine that? God does. God, for believers, God does. And if you're not a believer, you do. You do. You get to decide. And can you imagine what the world would be like if everybody was deciding what was right and wrong in their own eyes? Yeah, and that, that's what it comes to. So Jesus was walking through these cities and villages Matthew uses three words that I want to highlight for you uh, uh, today. For, the first word is compassion. Compassion. It's an interesting word. It means, uh, it means gut. You know, I use the word gut punch. It means pity that comes from the bowels. Ancient people used to think that the seat of emotions was in your stomach. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're very emotional, you can't eat. Or if, if you're very worried and stressed about something, you, 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 you kind of ache. You got to ache. And sometimes if the preacher goes too long, your stomach starts aching and growling, and your neighbor can hear it, and they're like, how dare you? And, uh, you know, that's why you carry snacks in your purse, ladies. But it's a, it's a, it's a word that really tells us how, that Jesus felt really bad. I mean, he was looking at these people, and they were... He, he was just hurt for them. He ached for them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever ached for someone? Yeah. 
I, I know, I know there, there, are, there are people right now going through things, parents, children, and we can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. All we can do is pray, but it just hurts. It just, it just hurts our gut, it just aches. And then he uses two words that I really think are words that define for us the two places that evil comes from, the words harassed and helpless. Harassed, you, you know what it means to be harassed. It means somebody's doing something to you. This is more like man-made suffering. Think of the cruelty of a dictator like Hitler or Stalin and the unnecessary violence caused by meaningless crimes and, and the, the evil that was unleashed on, uh, on people. You know, I shared with the first service that, that even good people buy into to this evil if you, if you keep selling it, if you keep selling it, if you keep telling the lie, if you, keep, if you keep saying something is true, but it's not true, but people will buy into it. And I told him the story of a, of a, of a guy who'd grown up in Germany, and he, um, he, he went to a church that was near the train tracks, and you, you may have heard this story. He went to a church that was near train tracks, and, and every day it seemed like these big cattle car trains, trains with big open cars were going by, and everybody knew what was in the cars. They, they were Jewish people. You see, Hitler had convinced an entire nation that Jewish people were a despicable race, that they were subhuman, that they were like dogs, and, the, and that we needed to get rid of them in the world. Even Christian people bought into this. He said when he, he was a kid, uh, on Sunday morning when they were be worshiping, this train would go by full of, full of Jewish people who had been so starved and dehydrated already, they were, they were ready to go to death. But they would be going by and their hands sometimes and their faces sticking out of the sides of these cars and the guy said, we didn't stop our service and go out and pray for them. We didn't go out there and scream encouragement to them. We didn't go out and try to stop the train and free them. He said, no, we, we just sang louder. We just turned the music up so we couldn't hear their cries. We couldn't hear their screams. I mean, what kind of, a, what kind of a evil is that? Christian people, so-called, complicit in what was going on with the murder of all these people. That's harassed. Somebody else is causing the pain, and it can be you causing your own pain. It can be you causing the pain of people in your family, or it might be some world leader or somebody who is in a, a position of influence causing the pain intentionally. And then there's the word helpless. And this, this refers to evil that exists as a result of the kind of world we live in. It's just the kind of world we live in. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world and it's natural suffering. I mean, we're, we're all dealing with, uh, with storms and hurricanes and, uh, and tornadoes. And right in the middle is scary, uh, those things. Did anybody get that? Between tornado and hurricane is scary. Gary, yeah, uh, okay. And, and so uh, this, is, this is natural suffering. It's natural suffering. It just happens. This is the kind of world we live in. In John chapter 9, there's a story about a guy who was born blind. 
And the disciples brought him to Jesus and said, whose fault is this? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? You know, there was the view that if you had a problem in your life, it was, there was sin in your life. That's still a prevalent view today. And that might be the case. If you go out here and sleep around and you, you catch some disease, that's your fault. You caused your own suffering and now you're causing suffering for other people in your family. And uh, there was this view that if you, know, you mess up, if you, if you have something wrong going on, then you've messed up. You remember Job, Job's friends, these great friends came around him and they all asked him, Job, what in the world did you do to make God mad? What did you do to God? And you remember that whole interchange where, where Job said, look, I didn't do anything. Even Job's wife said, man, you should just curse God and die. Your pain is so great. Job worked his way through that because he knew it was not anything he had done, but something God had done. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We're all sinners and we all deserve the wrath of God. But from last week, thank God Jesus bridged the gap and made a way for heaven. Amen. He made a way for heaven. In verse 32, when this man who had been, uh, been healed, and by the way, Jesus healed him unlike any other man. He, uh, uh, any other person, Jesus, the Bible says he took dirt and he put it on his, he spit on it, made a salve and put it on his eyes. Most unusual way. Jesus could have spoke this man's healing. He could have just touched him on the head. He could have, he, he didn't even have to get close to him, but he healed the man this way. He picked up dirt. What was he doing there? Why did he do it that way? I think Jesus was, I, th I, th I don't know, but I think what he was saying was, look, we're all living in the dirt. We're all dealing with the stuff of earth. But God intervenes. He can make all things better. I kind of think that's what he was teaching there. Maybe. And so this man said, never since the world, he was being questioned by the Pharisees, how this happened. He said, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So after all this, I want to I tell you the answer. Why, why are we living in a world that God is in charge of, but yet there's evil, pain, and suffering? One word. Anybody know the word? One word. Starts with an L, ends with an E, love. Love, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, the Bible talks about how one of God's primary attributes is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is also holy. God is love. God's holiness and God's love. Last week we talked about hell. You know, God's heart aches for those, but his holiness must be satisfied as well. But God is a God of love, and God wants a loving relationship. That's why he created you. You may be running from God. You may be doing your own thing, but God is there wanting to love you. He wants to be loved, and he doesn't need love, but he wants your love, and he wants to love you. God is solely independent, so he doesn't need it, but he, that's what he wants. That's God's heart. And so the only way for a true love relationship to exist is in an atmosphere of free will. It's the only way it can exist. If God chooses beforehand who's going to love him and who's not going to love him, that's 
That's not love. That's not love. If I make you love me, and now I had to do a lot of convincing to my wife, you're going to love me. Not really. I didn't have to do much of that at all. Well, you guys are really tough today. I know the parboys, they didn't have to do any convincing. It's just like, look, they got twins. Twins married to twins. That's like a match made in heaven right there. So uh, God says, I I want you to choose me. I want you to love me. I'm going to let you walk away from me. That's what he let the rich young ruler do. Let him walk away. But what God wants is God wants you to say yes to him. And he's done everything. Everything. Look, he gave you this world. He gave you your family. He's given you all your stuff. He's created the situation where you can live in the 21st century and live a nice life. If anybody has reason to love God back, it's us, isn't it? He's given us his word. I mean, we understand things today that we never, people of different earlier generations never understood. We're living better today. The electricity rarely goes out. And if it does, there's always Generac. If you got the money for it. You see what I'm saying? We can get around any problem today. God has blessed us. We ought to thank God just for living in 2023. But it comes with a price, doesn't it? And more than that, God said, I know you're going to die one day. I'm going to make a way for you to go to heaven. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus. And when you come to him, you trust in him, you obey him, you follow him, you'll go to heaven and get out of all this mess. Now, God could have created a world in which free will and no evil exists. He could have done that. I don't know how it would have worked. I don't know what it would have looked like, but he could have. Isaiah said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And we know that heaven will be a place free from suffering. So what do we do about the problem of evil while we're here? Well, we can, we can live right. We can pray for those who do evil and those who suffer. We can go out into the harvest fields and share the gospel and share God's love. We can do uh, uh, you know, what we can as much as we can with what we have for as long as we have it. But let's be honest. If God has chosen us to live in this world of evil, pain, and suffering, then we should look for some purpose behind it. So if you understand the theology of evil, pain, and suffering, that it exists because God wants to be in a loving relationship with us, and because of that, he has to give us free will, and because of that, some people choose evil. That causes lots of problems. That's the theology. What do we say to the people who are going through it? Real quickly, three quick comments. In your pain, if you're going through pain, when you go through pain, remember that God is shaping you. We read Romans 8.28. Let's read Romans 8.29. 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, God who wants all people to be saved said, I want all of you to become more like Jesus. So think of your pain and your suffering as a way of God chiseling out your soul suiting it for heaven. 
God is shaping you. Secondly, God is with you. He's with you. Don't ever feel alone in pain. Remember, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself and came to the earth, became a man. He took the form of a servant and he died on a cross. If, if the cross is anything, and it's everything, but if it's anything, initially, it's the fact that Jesus came to be with us. He's with us. And then we should be with others who suffer. No other religion has a substitutionary death. There's no other religion that has its God coming down to live like its subjects and to die for them. No other religion other than Christianity has this. We'll talk about that in a month or two later. But that, that's one thing. God is, you're never alone. God is with you. He's shaping you. He's with you. And lastly, he's for you. Think of God like a grandfather or a father. Now, he's not just that, but just for this illustration, and the, and the kid is running a race or, uh, or playing a game, and, uh, you know, one of those little soccer games where it's like called clump soccer, you know, where all the kids are running together, and, and he's watching his grandson or his son, and he's just like, come on, man, you can do this, you can do this. Break out of the pack, take the ball, go with it. Wait a minute, that's the wrong goal. Turn around, go that way. And we're, we're pulling for our sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters. And that's what God is, God is like that. He's saying, I want what's best for you. I know this hurts. I know it's painful, but I'm pulling for you. I taught the staff a little song that we sing in Haiti and I think it's also sung in some churches here. And it's called Victoire C'est Pour Victoire C'est Pour Victoire C'est Pour You know what that means, don't you, Jameson? Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Get thee behind me, Satan, because victory is mine. And that's what the Bible says. In Christ, all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, God's for us. He's for you. And when you have suffering, you have pain, when things happen, God's pulling does that mean God's going to fix the problem? Not necessarily. He might. That's what we're praying for. We're praying that God would heal completely. That's, that's what we know to pray. God, you have the power. We're praying for you to heal completely. Sometimes God doesn't do that. Like when little Shedlin, when I left her and she was sick, I prayed for her healing, but she ended up in the hospital. It was too late for her. But you know what God did for her? He took her off those old dirty, dusty streets of Haiti and he put her on golden streets. He put her in the arms of Jesus. That's where he put her and she's there now. And that's ultimate healing. That's, that's the healing we all want. We, wanna, we want healing now and that's what we pray for. Sometimes God says, I'm, I'm gonna give it to you now or I'm gonna give it to you later. But you pray for it now. 
You pray for it now. That's what we're praying for with you. That heaven is the ultimate place where no tears, no pain, no evil, no suffering. That's your answer because God loves you. Lord God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. I pray, God, right now that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know that love, today would be the day they would find it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.